You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thanks so much for listening in. It's always great to have you joining us on the podcast. My name is Todd Lesher. I will be your host. And today we are joined by Megan Wall. Over the past probably six to nine months or so, we've been working with Megan Wall. She is a special needs ministry consultant who works with our curriculum provider, Orange, and we've talked about Orange at a couple of times throughout the podcast. But Megan is helping us explore how our church can become more proactive and prepared in caring for families with kids with special needs. And so we're happy to have Megan on the podcast. Megan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so good. So why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? So as you said, my name is Megan Wall. I live in Frisco, Texas, which is just north of Dallas. And there I serve as the pastoral leader of special needs at Stonebriar Community Church. So I've been there almost 13 years and have been leading the special needs ministry there at Stonebriar that entire time. Um, I do work with Orange. I do a lot of consulting for them mm-hmm. and work with their special needs track at conference and on tour, serve kind of as the special needs liaison to give advice and um, input whenever it comes to special needs ministry, because that's such a new topic in the church world. Right. I um, don't have any special needs in my family. People mm-hmm. often ask if I'm a mom of a child with special needs or if I have a special ed background. Yeah. I do not. I have a social work background. Mm -hmm. I have a master's from Dallas Theological in Christian Leadership. But God just placed me um, during college at a camp called Colorado Easter Seals, Rocky Mm. Mountain Village. And that's where my first introduction into working with children and adults with disabilities happened. From there, God has just opened doors and kind of put me in different places where he's used that passion for um, those with special needs and then my passion, obviously, for the church and combine those into what I would consider a dream job, being able to work with children and adults with special needs and their families and more importantly, lead them to the hope of Jesus Christ. So everything that I've done at Stonebriar, everything I do at Orange is all just a result of God um, putting me in a place where I can learn and grow every day. Mm-hmm. I learn from our families. I learn from other churches. And then being able to take that um, information, knowledge, and experience and pass it on to others to give them the encouragement to do what we hope all churches will eventually be doing, and that's reaching out to those families with special needs. Yeah, it's really incredible. What is most inspiring as we've gotten to know each other is when a calling takes root in a person's life and you see it blossom and overflow, you can't help but just marvel at what God is doing. You know, God has chosen you to kind of lead the charge in many ways. You're not the only person doing it, but he's given you a voice and a heart for that. And so just to see calling like in in real in person, mm-hmm. uh, I was trying to say live and in living color, but I'm like that's a TV show, so that's, that's a throwback way back there. But just um, flesh and blood right here. So thank you for sharing that with Forest Hill. Yeah, it's, it's been a real privilege. So thanks for sharing a little bit of your story. When you kind of think through a little bit more of your dream and vision for the church, international kind of local, whether it's Texas or Charlotte, 
when it comes to special needs, what what are some of those images that you mm. hold before you or that God has given you that just go, this would be an amazing picture of what the church could be? Yeah, well, having grown up in a church, um, you know, raised by a church-going family, my dad was a pastor of a small church in a small town in New Mexico. So being a part of the church my entire life, I've seen what church does well and what they don't do as well. Mm -hmm. And now being a part of the disability world and seeing how the church can really do disability ministry well and how they can also really hurt families who are experiencing disability within their family. I think about my kids. I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, both Mm -hmm. boys, both um, neurotypical, no special needs. But I think about whenever they get older and have children of their own. Mm They could have a child with sure. special needs. Their rates are growing. There's um, a lot more prevalence within our community today. So I think if they have a child with special needs, what do I want for them? Yeah. And I want them to be able to live wherever they want to live, to attend whatever church they want to attend, and have activities and programs and volunteers. They are ready to accept a child with special needs, regardless of um, what location they are, if they're in a big city, small city large church, small church, my desire is that every church would have a program for children with special needs. They're all going to look different. But if you look right now, I can tell you my family can walk into any church in the United States and most any church, any Bible-believing church in the world and find activities that are going to relate to my 10-year-old and 13-year-old. I don't have to Google what churches have children's Mm. ministries or what churches have student ministries. Every church, that's just part of the DNA. And that's my hope is that by the time my kids are old enough to have their own kids, that they won't have to Google anything Hmm. if they have a child with special needs. Because we as the church, we all say it in our mission statements. We all say it every day. We want to reach everyone. Mm -hmm. And everyone includes those kids and adults who can walk into your church on two feet, those who might need a wheelchair, those who might need a walker, those who can read, those who can't, those who can understand at a typical level, those who can't. And I think once the church grabs hold of that and says, yes, we really do want to reach everyone, it'll change the way that we do church. And I'm excited to see that. Um, Funny thing is that you see that happening more in churches across the globe than you do in the United States. Mm. Because there's a church that I work with in Peru that has um, an amazing special needs ministry. But the majority of the people that attend that church have some need. It might not be a physical special need, but it's it's a need. They're you know searching for their next meal. They're yeah. searching for a job. They're searching for love and acceptance. And and they tend to be more accepting of students and adults with special needs than the average American mm-hmm. church. So we have a lot to learn from Definitely. those who are doing church differently across yeah. the globe. Yeah. Well, I feel a range of emotions <laughs> when we had this conversation, even over the course of this year as we've work together. And what I would love to do is is cultivate some of the soil of our hearts as people, as parents, as Jesus followers, as a church. But I know in the cultivation of that soil, you're going to turn the mirror on us, which you have done to us. You know, even when you talked about the mission statement, you pulled up our mission statement and you had <laughs> us watch it. You know, I'm watching myself talk about family mm-hmm. ministry. And you're just asking the question, are you prepared 
to fulfill what you are promising. And so that's the challenge for us as a church that we hope to fulfill as we grow and learn and mm-hmm. you know partner with you. But let's start the conversation that I think is foundational is becoming the type of people, the type of church that include and embrace families with kids with special needs in the mm-hmm. first place. And so I would love for you to give us some working definitions, even when you mention the phrase neurotypical. Like, I think you just it, need to help us understand yeah. all the different terminology is out there. We won't cover everything, but I'd love for you to give us a start. So let's just start with the phrase uh, special needs. What does it refer to? So when you're talking about a church, you're going to be very different than when you're talking about a school system. Because the church's goal is to love, to accept, to offer hope, um, to point people towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so when we are at the church and we think of special needs, we think of any child who could or might not have a um, special ed plan at their school. So different states use different terms. IEP is Mm -hmm. one that's used a lot, individualized educational plan. So if a child is under a special education umbrella at the school, then they're most likely going to be under the special needs umbrella at the church. However, we all know that not every child goes to a public school. Not every child goes to a private school. There's lots of homeschooling. There's lots of different types of education in our communities today. So we look at what the child's needs are. Mm -hmm. Can that child sit in a classroom with X amount of students and absorb the information that the Lord wants them to absorb in a way that is um, conducive to a classroom environment. So that could be if the child is sitting and, and participating, even if they might have some special needs diagnosis down in their file, you know, from way back when, they might not fall under our umbrella because they're mm-hmm. doing all right in the classroom. We're looking for those kids who are the outliers, who are the ones who are pacing in the back, who are the ones who are causing problems um, with their behaviors when people think they're just not they're not wanting to participate when in reality it's a special need that might be um, keeping their mind from focusing on yeah. what the task is at hand. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for any child who the typical mold just doesn't fit. Yeah. Now, some, again, will have a diagnosis, some won't. But it's not our role as the church to say, we can't help you unless you have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. We want to help you because we want to help all people find a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's a tricky, I think that's a tricky part in church ministry is that there will be sometimes, especially when a new ministry starts, you're just starting to reach out to children with special needs. And there's one person on staff who's kind of the special needs champion. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden that person is going to get called for every little thing. Yeah. So when we first started at Stonebriars, the ministry started to grow as I, um, whenever I came in in 2006, I remember I was getting called constantly Mm -hmm. during the Sunday morning activities because a child wasn't doing this or a child was doing that. And it came to the point of finally me having to look at a a three-year-old teacher and say, three-year-olds sometimes don't like to sit still. (laughs) Just because he's not sitting still today doesn't mean he needs to come under the special needs umbrella. But let's keep a watch out. So Mm -hmm. let's observe. If need be, we can talk to the parents. But having that 
defined definition of what is special needs can be really hard within the church because yeah. you don't want to exclude anyone. However, you don't want to be the catch-all for everything. Sure, yeah. So it's kind of a balancing act between empowering staff and volunteers to take care of things that they can take care of um, and then giving them the support of the special needs ministry for those times when the behavior isn't going to stop after one Sunday mm-hmm. or the um, the occurrences seem to get bigger and broader yeah. or the needs seem to be a little bit more than what our teachers can handle. Mm-hmm. So how can a ministry step in and um, support that family regardless of diagnosis? Yeah, that's good. And now when we talk special needs, I, I know there are there's different terminology even within special needs. There's disability and so what does disability cover? I know, I think a, a kind of first, the first thought is physical disability, but where does mental illness come into this? And then uh, a, is there a mental disability? Like that sort of range of things, It's there's a covering with special mm-hmm. needs, but then there are specific ways to address and identify what the special needs may be. Right, so disability is a very broad term. Yep. Um, a lot of people will say that all of us have some sort of disability. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go broad or if you go deeper into disability, you'll have a physical disability, and what it, the term changes a lot. Developmental disability okay. um, is that's probably the most common term I would yeah. say that's being used. So physical disability and developmental disability. Okay. Now mental illness is a whole nother bucket. Yeah. Um, mental illness is what we would consider in our church is something that we allow our counseling staff okay. to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so many different faucets that come into mental illness, um, so many different needs, different um different terms, different diagnosis that the special needs ministry right now, as we are, is not equipped to handle that. Mm -hmm. In terms of disability, you'll have physical disabilities, which are very obvious most of the time. Um, And then you have the developmental disabilities. So developmental disabilities would be autism. um, It could be Tourette's. It could be um, just ton of our students are coming with developmental disabilities that are not specific. Mm-hmm. So PPDNOS is a big, long acronym mm-hmm. that a lot of students will come, which is kind of the throw everything else that might not be specifically autism into this bucket. Gotcha. And again, as the church, we're not looking at diagnosis. We're not having parents. We don't require parents to have a diagnosis before we start to step in as yep. a special needs ministry. But understanding those diagnoses as a church can be very helpful because yeah. um, then you're able to see, okay, autism. Typically with autism, these are some characteristics or these are some things that might cause high anxiety. Mm. And so you can shape your classrooms, you can shape your curriculum um, to keep from causing high anxiety for yeah. those students with autism. The thing also with autism, I'm going to just tell you all kinds of stuff that's probably going to mess everything up that we ever say. But the thing also with autism is that autism is such a broad spectrum. And so you'll have one child with autism who loves the structure and loves, um, you know, deep touch or deep pressure. Another Mm -hmm. student with autism who can't stand to be touched and who the having to move from activity to activity in a structured environment makes him very anxious Mm -hmm. and acting out. And so everything is just so fluid. And I think that's the beauty of the church's role in that is that 
we're never going to understand it all. There is always going to be a new diagnosis that walks into your building that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. But God does. He created these kids in his image. He created them exactly as he saw. He knows them better than anyone knows them. Our role is to pray for wisdom, Mm -hmm. to do what we think we can um, to help support these families, and to always be willing to be flexible and change. Because you set up a special needs ministry with strict rules and guidelines, and we're going to do it this way, and next Sunday someone's going to walk in, it's going to challenge everything you know. Um, But God is bigger, and God knows, and God can prepare you, and God will give you grace and love and compassion that you never thought possible. Yep. All because he wants to reach those kids and their families mm. with the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and along those lines, just kind of the aha moment of some of our sessions together was you, you kind of took us through the exercise of let's study some of the scriptures and how Jesus interacted with people. Jesus was invested in special needs ministry. He did a Absolutely. lot of that in caring for both physical disability, developmental disability, whatever the range was, you know, 2,000 years ago in the lens through which mm-hmm. we understand that now. But he was invested in it relationally. He didn't put it off on somebody else, but he invited people to join in with him to do it alongside of him. So that sort of piece there is we're joining Jesus in the ministry that he is doing. Right. And he, I think so many times we focus on the healing. We say, well, Jesus healed them. So why isn't he doing that today? Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus did a whole lot more than healing. Yes, he did heal to show others that he he was who he said he was. He was who was promised would come. But he healed and then did more beyond that. And I think we often stop and look at the healing and think, okay, that was done. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Jesus's ministry was way beyond that. And I think that's where we have to step into that mm-hmm. um, these students have so much to offer. Yep. You know, whether Jesus chooses to heal them here on earth or when they get to heaven, right. there is so much that they have to offer. And there are ways that all of these students with special needs can speak into the lives, not only of their family, mm-hmm. of our church and our community, um, but they can speak into into areas that we never have a voice. Yeah. They have a boldness. They have the ability to evangelize. They have the ability to proclaim the truth of Jesus, just like in John 9, Hmm. um, that we will never have. And why wouldn't the church want to tap into a ministry that empowers students to be able to share the gospel? Yeah, yeah. And even just kind of the principle or the kind of the approach of Jesus, he wasn't intimidated. And I think the church just gets intimidated, like, what are we supposed to do? Um, with this individual or this family, and Jesus was not intimidated. He waded in to right. that relationship. Right. So when we, when you talk through all this terminology, um, I would love for you to share some advice to our listeners about what is appropriate and honorable language and even practice. Okay. Where should they start? Yeah, so the first thing I would always say is what they call person-first language. Yeah. So instead of a special needs child... It's a child with special needs. So you always want to put the person first. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of an autistic child, you say a child with autism. Because that child is more important than the disability. Mm -hmm. So person first language is always important. And that's hard to retrain your brain to do. Because we're used to describing people. Mm -hmm. The redheaded girl. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of the redheaded girl, what about the girl with red hair? (laughs) Yeah. But we've always just described. And so... Changing that to make sure that you highlight the person. 
And sometimes you don't even have to highlight the disability. Mm -hmm. It's a a little boy. Yeah. You know, sometimes you don't have to say a little boy with autism. You Mm -hmm. can say this little boy needs Jesus. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's very clear that a child has special needs. Sometimes it's not. So you can't ever assume. Um, Allow the parents to be the one to give you the words to say. Mm -hmm. So instead of diagnosing, which we tend to do whenever we say, well, does he have autism? While you're not officially diagnosing, you're really diagnosing, mm-hmm. right? Especially yeah. if a parent's never heard that word before. Yeah. So instead of diagnosing, describe what you're seeing. So, you know, my little boy and your little boy were playing today, and he really got frustrated whenever my son took the car out of the line. Yeah. Does he tend to get frustrated about things like that? Because I want to help my son know how to play with him better. Yeah. So instead of being upset about the action, you're changing the tone of the conversation and saying, this is what I saw. This is um, what my goal is. My goal is for our kids to be able to play well together. If you're using a parenting example, in a church example, it would be, you know, our goal is for him to have a great time during this class at church. Yeah. But you're showing what you saw, you're showing what you would like um, the end goal to be, and you're asking the parent for help hmm. instead of telling the parent what they need to do better. Yeah. I can tell you most of our families, especially families with children with developmental disabilities mm-hmm. like autism, have had people correct their parenting mm-hmm. on a daily basis, mm-hmm. leaving parenting books in the yeah. mail, ah. um, giving them podcasts to listen to that will help shape the way that they run their family. Yeah. And no one stops to consider maybe it's a little bit more. Maybe it's not as simple as um, taking away something yeah. or as putting more structure, but maybe there's something developmentally that's um keeping this child from being able to do what he or she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really focusing on the child. Um, another thing I would encourage is if you have a friend or a loved one with a disability and you meet someone else with that disability, you're not the expert <laughs> because that's not your child. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do because we want to relate with people. Sure. We want to say, "Hey, I get it. Yep. I, you know, I have a, a friend with autism also, and so you know, I understand your struggles." Well, that might be fine eventually, but in your first meeting with someone, that looks like you're trying to tell them that you're the expert mm-hmm. when you don't know their child. Every yep. child is so different. So instead of immediately starting out with something like that, just be a friend. Yep. You don't have to include the disability in your friendship. Just be a friend. Mm. Um, I think the last thing I would say is that whatever um, you do in church, you have to be willing to do in the community. Okay. So we had um, our church, you know, has had a special needs ministry since the beginning. We've always been very welcoming, very open. But it wasn't until about six years ago that our church really saw the difference between how things were happening in church and what was happening in the community and kind of made a decision of we're not going to be different in church than we are out in the real world. And so um, church members started talking to me about things that they had seen, you know, when they were at the grocery store, seeing a mom with a child who was having a meltdown because he couldn't get a piece of candy. They said, you know, always before I thought that that was probably just a spoiled little child mm-hmm. that just wanted what they want. Yeah. She said, now that we've seen the special needs ministry at church and really been a part of that, we're able to see families through a different lens in our community. Mm. And what better way than to show the love of Christ than for a 
you know, a person standing behind a child in a grocery store who's having a horrible meltdown. And instead of having judgeful eyes towards that family, maybe that person is just praying inside and praying for God to bring them peace or for Mm -hmm. them to open a door where they can um, help, you know, never to put yourself in that situation, you know, never to insert yourself where you're not wanted, but by just standing there and offering a gentle gaze and just praying inside for a wisdom and for opportunity, you know, as God would see fit, yeah. it changes the whole way that we interact with each other in, in community. Yeah. So I would say to make sure that you're doing the same places, you know, both in the church yeah. and in the community and pray for God to give you those opportunities. No one needs the love of Christ mm. and just the grace that Christ offers yeah. more than these families. Mm. They yep. are, they're coming at it from every, or they're getting you know, criticism and, and bad news and hard words from every angle. Yep. Sometimes they just need someone to say, we love you. Mm-hmm. You're doing a great job. Yep. We don't know how to help, but tell us and we'll do what we can Yeah. because we love you yep. because that's what Christ would have done. Yeah. And to put an exclamation point on it is, parents, you have the permission not to be the specialist or the expert. Let the expert be the expert. Let the specialist be the specialist. We are called to be excellent neighbors, to love our neighbors, our friends, people in the community well. That's what we that's what we have to do. So Absolutely. that's what you're saying, just to punctuate that piece there is what everybody needs to hear. And it, it goes back to the discomfort. We're Westerners, so we want to fix. Yes. We want to fix. We want progress. Yes. And love is alternative to that. Love says, be present, wade in, be available. It right? will be messy. It will be messy. And we don't exactly. like messy. Yes. <laughs> so let's, let's actually move in that direction for ourselves and give us a lens through the gospel as our starting point. How can we begin to develop a different posture or outlook through what Jesus has done for us? Well, I think Jesus was very clear in that he said, you know, I've come so that all may have eternal life. Mm-hmm. I think we have to just take Christ at his word there mm-hmm. and believe that every single person needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, that's going to look differently for everyone. Um, your relationship with Christ and the way that you got there looks very different than mine. Yep. And But we can verbalize that to each other. We can talk about it. We have commonality. There's going to be some common language in both of our faith stories mm-hmm. that will show us that we're at the same spot. Now, students with special needs might not have that. They might not have the ability to verbalize that they're at the same spot that you and I are. Yeah. But our role as the church is to always point them there and to continually point them there and allow God to use the Holy Spirit Mm. and to do His mighty work and to work inside their heart in a way that we might not ever understand and we might not ever see the results of. We have some students that will draw out, um, that have have since drawn out their faith walk. So they've drawn pictures and Mm. then kind of gone back and shown us through those pictures that we believe that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have some students who just um, physically can't talk, but they will physically look deep into your eyes, pound on their Bible, pound on their heart, Mm. and point up to Christ. To me, that's them saying, I got this. I can't verbalize this to you, but I got it. Some won't be able to do any of that. 
those are the ones that you just have to keep feeding into. And you trust that God is faithful with the words that, that we're saying. He's faithful with the words that they're hearing. And he will do a mighty work that we might never know. Yeah. As a church, we have to believe that it's that important. Mm-hmm. And that we can't just chalk it up to, well, God's got this. Yeah. We have a responsibility. Yeah. And I think that helps shape our faith as well. If you are constantly believing that God is working in someone's life that you will never see, never understand, then your perspective of God is getting bigger over time. Mm-hmm. And our faith, our individual faith is growing because of the faith of those students. Yeah, that's really good. So we just say, you know, if you, you have to start with that foundation that you yeah. believe that Christ died for everyone mm-hmm. and that it's our responsibility as a church to point people towards the love of Jesus Christ. And then in everything we do, we try to point people towards Christ. Mm-hmm. We don't always have the answers. We don't always have the but why. Um, but we know our responsibility is Christ and and to love and to have grace and to show mercy and to show hope where there's normally not a lot of hope, grace, love, and mercy. Yep. And if we're doing that, God is so faithful with the rest. Yeah. You know, but the hard part is that there are students who are verbal who get smidgens of their disability. And those are the those are the cases, those are the students where you just ache because they'll ask you, Why did God make me like this? Hmm. If God loved me so much, why do I have this? Yeah. If God really has a plan for my life, why can't I whatever? Mm-hmm. And it's those moments where I think all of us are called to say what you know, to define what we really believe. Do we really believe that God has a bigger plan? Mm -hmm. And if we do, how do we relay that to a six-year-old who can't keep herself from hitting other people because she's so frustrated that she can't communicate what she needs? And I don't know if there's an answer for that. There's not an easy answer for that one. You just, Mm -hmm. you have to go back to what the basis is, and that's to show the love of Christ yep. through offering love, hope, grace, yep. and praying constantly for those students, praying constantly that God will protect their minds, that God will protect their spirits, and never, um, hopefully not ever allow them to get to the point where they feel like God isn't there, yep. or God's not big enough to be with them when they need Him. Yeah. Yeah, we all have things in our lives personally that make us ask that question. Absolutely. Why, God? I thought I thought you loved me. Mm-hmm. But it accentuates it sometimes through these examples that you're giving. And we, the church, are the proof that God still loves you, that yes. God is still present in your life. So yes. we, we are the ones who can prove or disprove what we our statements about the love of God in the, our presence in people's lives. So that's the, that's the point that rattles me when people ask that question is like, I don't know the answer, but Mm-mm. I'm going to try to prove imperfectly at best mm-hmm. <laughs> that God still loves you. I mean, I have the words to explain why, you know, or how right. or what, but. And sometimes those questions are harder coming from the families. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have a mom or a dad who says, why, mm-hmm. why would this, why would God allow this to happen? I prayed every day for a healthy child yep. and I have a child with special needs. Yeah. Or my child was healthy up until they were a senior in college, Hmm. and then something happened, and now they have a brain injury. Why would God allow this to happen to our family? What did I do? And that's where guilt and shame come on parents, that we we as a church have to be willing to step into that and say, no, 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 no. 
that's that's not the that's not mm-hmm. the cause of this. Yeah. Just like in John nine three, this yeah. did not happen as a result of his or his parents' sin, yeah. but so that God's works can be displayed in his life. Yeah. But how much easier is it to just say those words totally. than to really live them, right? <laughs> totally. Oh, I mean, again, we're turning the mirror. We're turning right. the mirror here. To go. Let's be careful not to point at everybody else. I'm here holding the mirror myself. I know. So. Every, I mean, yeah. every day you have to... Yeah. It's, it's funny how God gives us such clear words in Scripture, <laughs> but to read them back to yourself, you're like, but wait, wait. <laughs> Like, it can't really be that clear. You know, yeah. we just distort it yeah. and we make it so much harder. And and I think that's why fellowshipping with believers and that's why families with special needs need the church. Yeah. They need people to be there and say, I understand you're, you know, you're wavering in your faith. Yeah. I get it. But I'm going to I'm gonna be a strong person for you through this, and yeah. I'm going to pray for you through this, and I'm going to be here for you to ask the tough questions, yeah. and we're going to get through this together because in another year, I'm probably going to be doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be wavering in my faith, and I'm going to yes. need you yes. to be my support and my strength. Yeah, 100%. Well, you've given a lot of uh, good insight and direction, uh, even as you're talking about kind of the integrity between our posture at church and in the community. But if you have people who are just reeling a little bit and they're like, I just need a, an action step, like, where do I start when it comes to becoming more inclusive, accepting, mindful, aware, just a, a few just going, hey, try this or take this step? What does that look like? I would say for families within a church, um, one of the first things you can do is just to ask questions. So if you see a family with a child with special needs, don't avoid them. Don't assume that you think that they don't want people around or don't assume that you think that they're overwhelmed or don't assume anything. Be a friend, just like you would to any other person. Mm -hmm. You might not know how to approach and that's okay, but it's better to ask than to avoid. So ask those questions. Um, one of the things I think the best things a church member could do with a family with special needs is just to offer to be available. So I don't know what, you know, if there's any needs that you have right now, but here's my phone number and Mm -hmm. I'm, is it all right if I call and, or if I text you once a week and ask if I can do anything for you now for the first six months, you might get no response. Mm -hmm. You might get a no. <laughs> you might get, we're fine. Yeah. Um, but after a while, if you're consistent, if you're present, if your posture is that of one who's wanting to help, that family might eventually give you something yeah. and say, I just need you to pray for us. Mm. Perfect. Because yeah. just praying totally. is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and then that might turn into something else. It might turn into, hey, I don't have the opportunity to get out and get groceries this week. Mm-hmm. Could you pick up my order yeah. and bring it to my house? Perfect. Yep. It's an easy way. So you're not you're not starting off by watching their child with special needs for mm-hmm. two weeks while they go on vacation. Yeah. That's not what families are looking for. Yeah. But I think that's what we're scared. We think we're not capable of watching a child with special needs. I don't know how to help this family. Yep. Well, there's a whole lot more that they need than yeah. child care. Right. I think also is encouraging your kids and following your kids' leads because our kids are much better at this than we are. (laughs) Right about that. (laughs) So our kids will dive in Uh and be friends with anyone. Yep. 
there's there's no difference with our kids. And so you have to allow that as messy as it might feel. And Mm -hmm. if your child has befriended a child with special needs, invite that family over, invite them to the park, meet up at the park or a, um, a local playground, do some things to encourage relationship with that family. They might say, no, that's okay. Ask again. The more you ask, the more persistent you are, the more they see that this isn't a pity ask. This is a true desire for relationship. But your kids are already doing it. So it's just a matter of you taking the ball from your kids and taking it a step further beyond the church walls. Um, But I think just being open and I, I mean, I'll go back to the question. Ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Don't be scared. Yeah. Um, don't try to shy away from things. And um, if there's an opportunity to sit next to or to serve with or to walk alongside a family, jump on it. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, happens at my kid's school is through their special needs program, they have a lunch buddies program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we encourage our kids to say, hey, this is a way to be a good friend. You know, at your school. So sometimes schools um, provide programs like that that just make it an easy connection relationally. And it just takes parents saying, hey, this would be a good way for you to show the love of God in a relational way at your school. Be a friend. Right. And if you hear of instances, you know, I remember, especially in elementary, my kids would come home and say, so-and-so was, you know, so loud today. So-and-so is always getting in trouble. So-and-so, you know, they, you know, the kids that are having more challenges at school. Mm -hmm. Don't just dismiss it. You know, use those opportunities. Well, God made us all different. God, you know, some students just have a hard time sitting still. Mm -hmm. And so what that friend might need is just someone to be his friend at lunch when yes. no one else wants to sit next to him. Yep. And so, again, we go back to that it's, you might not be talking about a child with a diagnosed special need, but there's obviously some needs in those children, in that child's life, yep. that um, go beyond what we think we can do and mm-hmm. go way in, or go a lot deeper into what we're called to do as believers. Yep which is just to love, right. to show grace. Yeah, It's a great reminder for the way that you know we encourage our parents to be the spiritual leader of their family. And mm-hmm. those are those conversations, right. you know, to activate. If I love how you say, don't dismiss it. It's an important moment that has sprung up in your home to capture, and you're going to just have a dialogue right. around it. What kind of family are we going to be? You know, what kind of friend are you going to be? You know, right. what does Jesus call us and invite us right. to do? Well, um, <clears throat> over the couple months that we've worked together, you've shared some just beautiful stories and examples of how the church and follower of Jesus have shown this acceptance and inclusion. Can you just give us a story or two of what you've seen, you know, as we pursue the dream that you have for your children and mm-hmm. maybe your grandchildren as they grow up in the churches that we become? What have you seen along the way? Well, I think, um, you know, there's lots and lots of stories of faith, stories of acceptance where we didn't ever think it was going to happen. Um, I think one of the biggest ones is when when ministries across the church start to get on board and it's not mm-hmm. a special needs thing or even a children's ministry yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, you know, when we first started or when I first came to Stonebriar, the ministry was young. It was... Um, you know, relatively small. 
And I felt like I had to handhold everything. So every time there was a child with special needs, mm-hmm. I had to walk with them to wherever. Yeah. Every time there was an incident, I had to walk with them. Um, about four years ago, we have we had a new student pastor come into our ministry. And so whenever there's someone new coming into a church staff, it's always kind of a shock because mm-hmm. you think, do they really get our culture? Do they yeah, really know how yeah. things work? You know, are th- even during the interview process, my question is always, you know, we have students with special needs who attend every activity. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to students with special needs? Well, we all know during the interview process, you're going to say great yeah. things. and But when it comes down to ministry, we don't really know when a new pastor starts, how things are going to be um, received. Yeah. So I had a phone call um, on a Monday morning, which is always terrifying if you're on pastoral staff. Yeah. <laughs> I had a phone call on a Monday morning saying, Megan, I need to talk to you about an incident that happened yesterday. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh dear. And I, I knew some of our students were in student ministry, and this was from our new student pastor. And I thought, okay, here we go. You know, mm-hmm. he's new. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And he called and was explaining the situation and um, telling me everything that had happened. It had, you know, one of our um, teens with autism had gotten pretty handsy and Mm -hmm. um, was defiant and not wanting to do what he was asked to do and um, ended up storming out of the room and saying a few choice words on Mm -hmm. his way out. And um, so as he's telling me the story, I'm already starting to think, okay, I can call in this student, have a good relationship with him and his mom, we can have a chat and I can put another buddy in there or we can, you know, pull him back to our self-contained classroom for a bit. I was trying to already come up with a solution. And at the end of his story, he said, so I'm going to call in mom and um, meet with this student and his mom. And I just want to make sure that I'm going the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I said, but you want me there, right? And he said, no. He said, I'm his pastor. Mm. I want to be oh, wow. there. And I want him to know yep. that I'm invested in his life. And if you think you need to be there, you can come. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm the pastor, and I want to make sure that he knows that I've got his back and that we love him and that we want him here, but that some of these actions are not going to fly because of the um, risk that it puts some of our other students at. And I just had to stop and take a breath for a second, (laughs) and I said, you know, I don't think I need to be there. He said, you're doing exactly what the church is called to do. So with everything that had been happening and the culture that the church had started, he knew coming in that this was part of his ministry yeah. and that we were there as kind of the sounding board. We're there to filter students, you know, to make sure that they um, are in the right place doing the right things. But ultimately, he's not just the pastor of the high school students who are developmentally, you know, yeah. on track. Yeah. He's yeah the pastor of everyone. He's the pastor of all high school students, whether they're developmentally delayed or whether they're physically challenged, he's their pastor. And to see someone else take a role like that and say, I want to be his pastor, um, just changed the way that I saw how our church was doing ministry. And I thought, wow, we're doing this, you know, this, this ministry gets it. High school ministry gets it. And that's the hardest place. Yep. I mean, high school ministry is hard. Right, right. And for him to get it with our students with special needs, I thought, this is what I wish every church hmm. would have. Yep. Just the ability to say, I'm his pastor. I'm it's gonna look messy. I need to set I need to bounce this off of you. 
but this is my job. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, the unfortunate part is that seminary doesn't teach this. Mm-hmm. You know, seminary doesn't have a good way of really teaching us all of these yeah. personal relations. Yeah. But there's even no disability training in seminary. But yep. every person who graduates out of seminary who goes to pastor a church is going to run into students yep. with special right. needs. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be ready as a church instead of thinking, okay, oh dear, they're here. What do I do next? We've got to change that and say, we know they're here Mm -hmm. and we want to pastor because that's what we're called to do because our desire is to reach out to all. Yeah. And that's what we've been learning as we've been working with you is we, we have to be prepared because... Everybody has faith in something. Mm-hmm. We want them to find faith in Jesus. And so they're going to end up at our church, at our campuses in that way. And I'd love to just finish. We started with calling. And not everyone is going to have the specific calling to ministry to those with special needs. But we have a higher calling, right, in following Jesus. And so the story about the youth pastor there, yeah, he's called to student ministry. But within that is relationships with people. And that is our calling. And so I know we've kind of emphasized it in a number of different ways, but just to kind of land there is we all have a calling to people. And so we don't get to write them off because we're not specifically called to that area, but we are called to care for people and love them well. And it's all going to look different. Oh, totally. I mean, it's going to be completely different from one place to the next. And you don't have to have this huge building with all these specialized things yep. it's just you have about people, people. <laughs> yes it you is have people you there have people that's the starting point heart. <laughs> that's right well any final advice or encouragement for our families as we wrap up i would say just start somewhere mm-hmm. you know god has placed you uniquely where you are for a reason yep and there is someone in your path that um, God is going to start placing on your heart, either to just pray for or to start engaging. And you've got to take that step. Don't be scared, but think about the eternal impact Mm -hmm. that one um, simple hello, one simple, can I take you to coffee? Um, One simple, why don't you sit by him at the lunch table Mm. tomorrow? Yes. What what can be changed because of that? Yeah. There... We don't have to look far to find people to minister to. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to open our eyes. Yeah. I'm a prophet Isaiah. Here yep. I am. Send me. Use me. I'm available. That's the prayer. That's the prayer. S- start there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for taking the time to be on the podcast and encourage our families who are listening in. Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, I do pray the prayer uh, that Isaiah prayed, that we are here. We are available. Use us. And it's... Uh, It can feel like an intimidating prayer because we put our comfort on the altar. So that's what we sacrifice. We offer our lives to you. You We don't have to be the Savior. You you have already done that through your death and resurrection, but we offer our lives to extend the love of God to those that we encounter who cross our paths, whose paths we cross. And so continue to renew us and transform us as people and as a church that take this posture that exemplifies the life that Jesus lived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Parent on parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. 
To watch our services live or find the campus nearest to you, visit foresthill.org.